And if you have a logical step-by-step -step process in, and you've thought about how you're going to get yourself in your own training or your client from point A to point B, then at some level you are already doing periodization. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% savings for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face -face learning, be sure to register for Phylex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar at phylex.com.au. Strength and conditioning coach Brody Hicks has a wealth of experience in using periodized programming for the general population, as well as with elite athletes. Here he chats with the fitness industry podcast, Katrina Cochran, about linear and non-linear periodization, macro, micro, and mesocycles, focusing on volume before intensity and simple before complex, and breaking down big goals into manageable phases. Welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Brody Hicks. Hello, Brody. Hi, thanks for having me. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, periodized programming with you today. So just before we get started, could you just maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you started in the fitness industry? No problem. So my background, I suppose, revolves a little bit more so about a, from a university level. So I finished my undergraduate degree about six years ago now, and I was fortunate enough to step out into the industry straight into a sporting realm. So I, I really got a nice early exposure into periodization, the history of that, the background, how we utilize that from an athletic population. And then over the last four years, I've had the pleasure of working with the Australian Institute of Fitness and applying that more so in a general population setting and trying to teach personal trainers in this day and age how we can utilize those concepts and apply those not only for athletes but also for our general population. Fantastic and I think you've left a little bit out there about your experience with some high performance teams and athletes. Give us a little bit of an insight to your, your history with them as well. Yep. So I was fortunate enough, I spent two and a half years with the Brisbane Raw. So I started off as an assistant sports scientist back then and then was fortunate enough to work within their academy setup as well. So they're under 18s. And then since then, I've coordinated and ran the, the high performance unit at the Brisbane Strikers. So they're a national Premier League team in Brisbane in the state-based competition. So worked with the senior setup for three years and set up the processes there. And I've recently transitioned into the academy to do the same thing. So we're setting up, we're currently in the process of setting up all these processes, setting up our gym and making sure that from top to bottom, the whole club is utilising sports science, strength and conditioning as one. Yeah. Fantastic. So wealth of experience and knowledge with us today. So we're very fortunate to uh, have you speaking on this area as well. So what I'd like to do is today we're going to discuss your experience with periodization and how this can be implemented in general population clients. So let's start first of all, can you give us a little bit of background about periodized programming? Yeah. So the thing that I like to look at from a periodized plan perspective is that it's simply just a method for planning out our training. And in no circumstance in there does it say that it has to be designed for athletes, although historically it does come from that athletic setting. It originally came from a guy by the name of Leo Matviev way back in the 50s who was working in Soviet Union. And he basically theorized that I want to make sure that I hit my clients again when I'm training and, and in that training stimulus as soon as they're in the supercompensation phase of the recovery process. So he 
first sought to structure out training to make sure that as best as possible, he was targeting training during the correct phase and to make sure that we're allowing for progression. And then we had further advances where blokes by the name of Tudor Bompa looked at including three cycles, which we still use to this day. So your macro cycle, your meso cycle and your micro cycle. So historically it has come from that athletic setting and even in Olympic-based sports. So for, for many, many years, it was really only seen in those four-year cyclical-based sports. But as it's progressed through the years, we've kind of seen that it doesn't necessarily have to be over four years. It can be broken down into any phase of time. And so we've started to see progressions of different types of periodization coming out. And again, a little bit more of the application in the general population setting. Fantastic. And with the style of periodization, can you give us a little bit of insight to the different variations of linear and, yeah. and things like that? So give us a bit of an insight to that information. Cool. So, yeah, I suppose the, the major arguments probably between linear and nonlinear or linear and undulating periodization. So a linear periodization model typically looks at a period of time where volume will progressively decrease over that period, whether that's sets and reps or distance covered while at the same point in time, intensity will progressively increase over that same period. So you may look at a 12-week block of training where you'll start with volume very high. By the end of that 12 weeks, the volume will be relatively low and the reverse will be true for intensity. So starting very low with your intensity and, and building up. Nonlinear periodization is more or less looking at varying our volume and intensity a little bit more repeatedly over that same period of time. So we may see volume and intensity change from being the primary focus from session to session. So we may have the first session of the week being more volume dominant, second session of the week being more intensity dominant, or we might see it from week to week or so on and so forth. So the arguments largely are surrounding which is best out of those two. Personally, I feel it's like comparing apples with apples, and it really depends on your client, how long you have to work with them, their goal as to what you believe would work best for you. Potentially, if you are only working with the client over a short period of time, the nonlinear works quite well because we're able to make sure that we're providing stimulus in, in multiple facets through volume, through intensity, and multiple times. Whereas if I'm working with a client for potentially 12 months or longer, my linear periodization may be a little bit more applicable because I can spend a decent amount of time in each of those zones and, and really try to nail, you know, from a volume perspective, really lay that foundation and then move on to my intensity-based work. Excellent. And so periodization can sometimes be a bit scary for beginners or people who are new to that form of programming. So if you could just break down simple, in simple terms, the difference between a macro cycle, mesocycle or micro cycle, just so our listeners can just appreciate what that overall periodized plan looks like with those three main components. Perfect. And I think that's, that's really important is to try to keep it as simple as possible. And I think that largely gets lost is that we, we try to make things as really complex when they can be broken down and been made more simple. So from a macro cycle level, what we're talking about is the overall plan. So macro meaning large. So that plan can be three months, six months, a year, four years if you're working with Olympic-based athletes, but it basically is just our overall plan. Mesocycles are individual training blocks. So when we look at an overall plan, we can break that down into more manageable blocks that allows us to focus on certain subcomponents of that fitness and allows us to have a logical progression from step to step. So that's our mesocycle. And then microcycle, so micro meaning small, there are individual training weeks. So if we're training with someone for a year, we'll have 52 microcycles for that year, and that'll basically give us a structure of what days are they training, what's our focus, what's the volume for the session, what's the intensity for the session, so on and so forth. So we're really breaking down a, a really long period of time into smaller blocks, and then even again into the individual sessions before we start looking at the individual programs from that point forward. 
And obviously there's so many ways we can program periodized versions for whoever you have standing in front of you. So that will be different for everybody. And when you look at the macro cycle as a whole, what sort of phases of training do you have within that to break down a little bit more information for our listeners as well? Yeah, so it it really depends on whether or not you're training athletes or you are training general population as well. So your historical mesocycles, when it's broken down from a macro cycle level, you'll have general preparation or GPP, and then it moves into specific pre- preparation or SPP. Then we go into a pre-competition phase. There's usually a taper phase before we go into our competition, and then in your off-season often called a transition phase. So while that works really well from an athletic standpoint, a lot of the time when we're working with general population, they don't have a competition phase and potentially even the names of those mesocycles may not be overly applicable in in that general population setting. So one of the biggest things that I've tried to make sure that people are recognising is that we don't necessarily need to have a competition phase. It's just the name of a phase. We can change that as many days as we want. As long as we're breaking down end goal into manageable blocks, it's still periodization. It's still a mesocycle. It's still a phase of training. And just because we change the name of it, it doesn't really matter. It's just giving us an outline of what our focus is. So when I'm looking at a general pop periodized plan, I'll actually change my mesocycles to be the names of foundation preparation. So I'll look at foundation, laying that foundation, getting in the volume-based work, Then we'll look at a training intensification phase and then a final prep phase before we have the end goal. So the terminologies are are really interchangeable. We can can look at making them whichever way we want and applying those however which way we feel best works for our client. And in regards to focus of training, and I know it's difficult to sometimes talk about this without a visual sort of collection as well, but when you're looking at the focus of training, what would be some main sort of components or criteria that you would recommend a trainer would take into consideration when using periodized programming for general population? Cool. So again, the most difficult thing that, and I suppose it's a question that a lot of people ask is, what do I do here? What do I do first? What do I do second? Do I do strength training? Do I do hypertrophy? Am I doing repeated sprints? What am I doing? And it's physically impossible for you to sit down and say, you know, you should be doing this here. However, there are a couple of rules that we can follow that allow us to make sure that we're not progressing to a certain component of fitness without previously focusing on another subcomponent that may be in line with making sure that we're laying a solid foundation. So rule number one for me is always that we have an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. So if I want to increase the intensity of a workout, I need to make sure that I drop the volume back and vice versa. So I can't have volume and intensity increasing at the same time. I can't ask someone to run as hard as they can for 100 metres and then ask them to run at 110% for 400 metres. It's it's not going to work. So we need to make sure that we understand that relationship. The second rule is that we should focus on volume-based work before we focus on intensity. And I liken it to building a house. So my volume-based work is like laying the foundations for building a house. We need to make sure we do that before we put the framework up, before we add the roof, before we put on the bells and whistles, which is your strength training and your power training and and all of the plyometrics that we include in those. If we were to do all of that work without laying the foundation, the house would more than likely fall down. So we want to make sure that we lay a solid foundation by getting our volume work in, whether that's through hypertrophy or strength endurance or from a cardiovascular standpoint, we may look at aerobic-based work, lay that foundation and then we can move on to strength, power and the rest. The third rule is that we want to focus on simple movements before complex movements. So I want to make sure that with whatever I'm doing, whether it's resistance training or if I'm looking at speed training, agility training, plyometrics, that 
my client masters the simple or the most simple movement that there is within that facet of training before we start overloading them with more complex based movements. So we can't get in this rush of wanting to add all the bells and whistles and jump off boxes and jump over hurdles and change direction and do all these sorts of things without learning the simple things. So how do I land? How do I make sure that I can hinge? How can I squat? And before we start looking at those complex things that we we often see on Instagram and they, they look fantastic and they look really impressive, the only reason they look impressive is because those people have mastered the simple movements. So I really follow those three, the inverse relationship between volume intensity, volume work before intensity work, and simple before complex. That's Paradise 101 right there. <laughs> what, what would you ta- recommend when you're taking energy systems into consideration and Paradise programming? Is there any specific sort of things you need, might need to take into account when thinking energy systems as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, it, it largely comes back down to your goal as well. So if you are working in sport, obviously you need to consider the sport that you're working in. And so if it's an intermittent-based sport, like a lot of our field and court-based sports, there's going to be roles of aerobic, lactate, phosphate with throughout those. So each of those components are just as important. I always look at the aerobic base as as either it's obviously the volume, it's the thing that allows us to lay the foundation, but it's also an important phase or important facet from even a recovery standpoint. So we need a, a strong aerobic system to be able to recover from bouts of high-intensity-based training. So even if your sport is largely a phosphate-based sport or even if you're wanting to become a, a phosphate-based athlete, still laying that aerobic foundation is really, really important. From a general population setting, I just try to look at it as holistically as possible. I want to make sure that this person is is as physically fit in each component as they possibly can be. So from aerobic, I may look at doing some long, long slow distance-based work as well as max aerobic speeds, so having a look at different intensities in that volume focus before we transition to, again, looking at some lactate-based work so that you know, 45 seconds to a minute to a minute and a half of high-intensity work as well as the phosphate system. So really loading up as hard as we can, looking at, anaerobic power-based work as well. But again, following those logical steps to make sure that we're not providing overload in a way that is going to be either setting our client up for failure or potentially leading them down a path that may end in injury. So programming obviously has progressed a lot over the years and periodized programming is becoming more common and popular. Do you feel that it's something we should really, from an education perspective in particular, be applying a lot more so people are understanding that concept and can see the benefit of athletic training with your general population through programming specifically? Yeah, 100%. And I think we're even seeing the the shift of focus in a lot of gyms moving away from even a body composition focus to being a performance-based focus as well, even in the training. You know, any person that I would work with, that I work with, I will always have a performance-based goal as well as a body composition goal if they were to have a body composition goal. So including even from a goal-setting focus, making sure that we have those performance-based goals is, is just as important. But yeah, from an education standpoint, I think it's extremely important. Again, as I led from the start of, of the podcast, I, I said that at no point when we look at periodization as a method for planning does it say that it needs to be for athletes. So I think we need to get out of our heads as, as personal trainers that oh, the only people that can use a periodized plan are our strength and conditioning coaches or the ones that are working at top-end sport because it is simply just a method for us to get our client from point A, which is telling us what their goal is, to point B, which is achieving that goal. And, and the better we can do that, the more likely we are to set our clients up for success. So I think from an education standpoint, breaking down definitely from an athletic standpoint is important, but then as well, pulling back the components that don't overly apply to us as personal trainers to allow us to apply it in that general population setting is extremely important. 
And opportunity as well for, especially because functional training is such a big new addition into the industry. Well, it's been around for a while now, but functional training is, allows the opportunity from a timetable perspective with businesses and studios to even consider this form of programming, do you think? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I've seen, you know, some gyms use periodization for a for even group-based classes over over long periods of time. So I've seen, you know, specific gyms actually look at all right, well, we want our clients with, well, we have groups, we have strength-based classes where we have, we have people come in and they all have performance-based goals and we will actually periodise a long-term program, a six-month program for these guys within our group classes to make sure that they are all progressing and we're focusing on those key, those key components to make sure that we don't have just people coming in here and there and not actually setting themselves up for success because at the end of the day, a lot of people are actually realising that all we are here for is to make sure that our clients achieve success. And, and if periodization allows us to do that, whether we're in a one-on-one setting, whether we're in you know, a functional training group setting, it doesn't really matter. We're just trying to make sure that our clients achieve success. And that measure of periodization allows us to have a step-by-step sequence and to plan for that success. And I think for many people, they probably don't actually realise they're using periodised programming in a lot of their programs because if you're looking at a 12-week challenge, an eight-week challenge, which is, you know, quite popular in the industry, technically they are creating and delivering periodised programs, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. I think, and again, that's a really good point is that just because you don't necessarily sit down and write out a, you know, three-month plan where there's numbers and percentages and pretty colours going everywhere, it doesn't mean that you're not doing a periodised plan. If you have a logical step-by-step process in, and you've thought about how you're going to get yourself in your own training or your client from point A to point B, then at some level you are already doing periodization. It's probably about, if, and if you're doing that, that's fantastic. It's about, all right, well, what's the next step? Can I actually look at potentially starting to jot these things down mm-hmm. and see what it looks like on paper? Maybe when you do that, you realise, oh, well, you know, maybe following those rules, I could potentially look at going down this avenue before I look at going down this other avenue, which may actually allow me to achieve success faster, more efficiently, or or even surpass the goals that we had previously set. So yeah, to a large extent, I, I would argue that a lot of people are already doing periodization. They just probably haven't specifically thought about it in that way before. And they don't actually term it as periodized programming. And I guess that's important as well because then it gives the opportunity to have better communication and more efficient communication with your clients because it's a progressive plan and you can see that direction of improvement and more importantly, it's a a growth pattern that they can envisage in the future. How often do you sort of encourage that a trainer would sit down with their clients and review their programming? Yeah, look, I will always sit down with my clients at the end of each phase. So we talk about mesocycles being a, a block of time. And again, there's no absolute period of time that a, that a mesocycle needs to last for. Often mesocycles will be anywhere between four to six to eight weeks in time. So every four to six weeks, I'll sit down with my clients and I'll go through where we've come from, test results. So retesting is obviously extremely important to make sure that we know where we're going, where we're taking our periodization, and as well to confirm that what we're doing actually is working. So I'll sit down, we'll go through test results, we'll go through the block that we've just completed and the block that we're about to go into. And the biggest thing for me is education of clients. It's so that they understand what we're doing and why. So I don't want any of my clients going through blind, just, you know, saying, oh, we're just doing this because Brody says we need to do this. I want them to be able to understand from at least a basic level that we're doing this because this is going to allow me to achieve 
X. So sitting down with clients, a lot of clients will actually like to see the program as well. So to be able to say, look, this is where we've come from. This is where we're going to. This is when we're going to have our testing. This is obviously your end goal. And this is how I plan on getting you to that end goal. Can, you know, like you said, often give your clients a little bit of that safety network and saying, yep, my my PT knows what I'm talking about. He's got a plan for success. She's got a plan for success. And we've got that step-by-step process in plan. It's, it is a complex sort of category, but it's easy to simplify when you just take a step back, analyze and just break it down in the stages. It works really well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think we as an industry, we like to overcomplicate yeah, simple things. <laughs> so as, as much as we can, I think we need to, to take that backward step and just say, hold on a second, what are we actually trying to achieve here? And as soon as we look at it from that standpoint of it is just a method for planning training. I just want to make sure that my client gets from point A to point B in the most efficient manner possible with the greatest amount of success possible, then that's all we're trying to achieve. And if we can start thinking about it from that perspective and applying those basic principles, then we should start seeing a lot more success from the, from the broader population as well. So yeah, definitely. So if we were to say three big nugget points that you can take away from this podcast, what do you think those three big points would be that someone can go tick, 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 I'm either doing that or there's some areas I might need to look at including? It's probably the bit, three biggest things. Again, the first one, keep it simple. You don't have to overcomplicate things. We can keep it as basic as we, as we possibly want. If at the moment you're just conceptualising it in your head and thinking about it, then that's great. Your next step is write it down on a piece of paper or you know, type it up in an Excel spreadsheet or on a Word document, whatever it is, however you like to view it. Just get it down on paper and just see what it looks like. Second thing is make sure that you're thinking about that laying that foundation. So whether that the foundation is coming from building that volume-based work before we look at more intensity work or looking at the simple-based movements before complex, just make sure that you're affording your clients the opportunity to succeed at those initial components before we progress them to the next component. So we don't want to just get in that habit of moving too quickly through the program. It's not a case of, it's not a race to get from volume to intensity into the end. It's about making sure that we our clients are comfortable in the movement, they're comfortable in what we've completed and they're ready to go on to the next stage. Mm-hmm. And the last one is just make sure that you do pay attention to what it is that you're applying from a stimulus. Am I focusing on volume? And if I am, is my intensity allowing me to focus on volume? Or am I mix matching my volume and my intensity relationship so that we're kind of getting confused about what we're doing and, mm-hmm. and a thing's not marrying up with what I'm saying is, is supposed to be happening during that phase. So have a clear understanding of what that goal is, what you're wanting to be doing, and then understand that relationship between volume and intensity to make sure that, again, you're applying the correct stimulus. And in regards to resources, are there any specific resources that you use or that you would recommend that people could go and source out so they could actually apply that into their business or their training regime? Yeah, look, for me, I immediately always do fall back to Google Scholar. If you don't have access to any university platform, again, I try to make sure that things that I'm reading are either coming from a peer-reviewed source or at least if, if it is a blog. So places like Science for Sport are fantastic as well. They're coming from reputable sources look for those sources to have references attached to them as well. So if it's just a blog where someone's just kind of, you know, thrown out some things and it's whatever they think, we've got to obviously take that with a grain of salt because we need to be able to make informed decisions of our own. So look for, for blog posts if there are blog posts like Science for Sport. Look for those articles and then read those articles as well. So don't just take their word for it. Have a look at the articles. Again, Google Scholar is a great place to start because they do have a lot of articles on there that are free and readily available. So yeah, just make sure you do your research and that you, that you understand what you're looking at from a perspective of, is this a reputable source? 
And if people wanted to reach out and follow Brody Hicks or contact Brody Hicks, what what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yep, so you can contact me on my, my email, so brody.hicks, that's B-R-O-D-I-E dot Hicks at performanceevolvedau.com. Otherwise, socials, Instagram, again, you can probably contact, well, you can contact me on performanceevolved underscore Hicks. They're probably my best two avenues to, to contact through. And yeah, I'm more than happy for, for any questions to come through. I've got templates as well. So and that was one of the big things working with people is that you don't necessarily have to be the world's greatest spreadsheet maker. If that's not your forte, that's absolutely fine. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> I quite like sitting down and playing around with those sorts of things. And so I've got templates as well. So from an, a general pop setting to an athletic pop setting, mm-hmm. I've got templates with regards to your macros and your mesos and your micro cycles that you can, I'm more than happy to send on to you. You can change, you can manipulate, you can do whatever you want to them. So yeah, that's the, the aim is not to, to really necessarily master excel it's mm-hmm. to be able to get that your ideas down on paper fantastic well a very heavy sort of concept in a short time frame but you've explained it extremely well so i'm sure the listeners are going to be able to walk away with some real golden nuggets out of this one so Brody hicks thank you very much for joining us on fitness industry podcast and listeners please make sure that you follow Brody and touch base with him for his resources thank you very much thanks for your time For a range of online strength training courses accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to the network website, select the Courses tab, and click on Strength and Conditioning. Network members save up to 30%, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Filex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar, at filex.com.au.